Hello, welcome to Dustbusters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and you probably know by now that I'm a big, big fan of the His Dark Materials books. I'm Louisa Maycock, and you also probably know by now that Jake and I have been together for almost a decade, and yet I've never read a single one of these books. And welcome to our journey into Season 2, Episode 4 of His Dark Materials, The Tower of Angels. And you might also be thinking, God, they're really getting into the name of this show by having a dustbuster going upstairs in their flat. <laughs> a literal dustbuster, a hoover. Um, so we apologise for that. Unfortunately, there is, there's no good time for a lockdown podcast record. Now, this episode is called The Tower of Angels, and sat across from me here in our flat is a tower of angels. Well, it's actually just Louis holding our sleepy puppy Peggy. Uh, I'm not really sure if two things do make for a tower, but it is pretty angelic. Maybe it's a small stack. Yes. I don't think the um, the small stack of angels quite has the same <laughs> ring to it, though. I think that's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> well, that you're a small stack of angels. <laughs> Now, as always, before we get stuck into our new episode, let's do a very quick recap. Louis, this is always our test to see how much of an impact this series is really having. Uh, Can you tell us and tell our listeners what happened last week? Okay, so I'm, I'm prepped, I'm primed, I'm ready for this. Yeah. Okay, so last week, Lee was continuing his quest to find Stanislas Grumman. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that his name? That's his name, yeah, yeah. Um, and found himself locked in a cell, unfortunately. Um, but luckily, Mrs. Coulter was there to help break him out. They had a conversation. It was great. Uh, Lyra heads on in over to our world again to go and meet Mary Malone. But in the process, finds herself losing her alethiometer and naughty old Boreal having stolen it. So um, they strike up a deal where she and Will will go to a tower and find a knife that is subtle, bring it back to Boreal, and swap it for the alethiometer. Yeah, and there are no take-backs in this world. No, swapsies, no takesies, backsies. <laughs> that was a very good very good recap. Clearly, yes. it left a mark. Um, I'm very excited to get into the Tower of Angels with you then, because uh, this is a busy episode. There's lots to get into here, um, across lots of different worlds, lots of different characters, and it's all very exciting. So, here is His Dark Materials... Season 2, Episode 4, Tower of the Angels. Now, I know we just did a recap, and Louis, an exceptional recap. Thank you. And we're actually going to start on the recap, because there was set up in the... Previously on His Dark Materials that I wanted to get into, because there's a mention of Stanislas Grumman at exactly the same time that there is... BBC News style footage of John Parry, Will's dad. And those two things happen at the same time. Stanislas Grumman and that visual. And Louis, to you, is the identity of Stanislas Grumman a mystery? No. 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 And I don't know if the show knows whether it knows whether it's a mystery. Because in the book, you always kind of on your way with it like it's it feels like there's something there 
but it's still satisfying when the the reveal happens but here it's like if you want us to know you can just explain it because you're telling us all of these things and you're teasing out these visuals but you're showing Andrew Scott in Lyra's world and you're showing Andrew Scott in Will's world and saying he's Will's dad but then also not actually ever saying one plus one equals two um and it's a bit of a muddle as to what you should actually be feeling about this character is that fair I think that's fair sort of who is Stanislas Grumman who is John Parry or maybe one of them is an evil twin I don't yeah. know it's like either make it a mystery or don't. or or just just tell us yeah and they kind of hedge their bets and it didn't really yeah. go either way um and also there was mention in the trailer of the child and i'm watching the mandalorian at the moment <laughs> and anytime i hear that i'm just imagining lyra's uh, baby baby yoda <laughs> um maybe she can just stare at a jar of pickled eggs and eat those and that can be my highlight of the episode one day Right, let's get into it. So, as always, we split everything up to locations and characters, and we will start with, well, we just mentioned him. Let's go in with um, Lee and Joparry. So, Louie, your eyes widen. It's it's literally just Andrew Scott's back, but you're already excited. I could tell. <laughs> Last week it was his chin, this time it's his back. Maybe we'll get a knee, maybe a foot. Just and like I'll know it all. A game of Andrew Scott operation. Head, shoulders, Funny knees bone. and toes. <laughs> so this is uh, Stanislas Grumman, a.k.a. Joe Parry, a.k.a. John Parry. So he's waiting for Lee to arrive and Lee is on a boat and Lee is travelling upriver. It's all very apocalypse now. Where are they? Somewhere. Sort North. of looks like the Highlands. Yes, I can't really place it because it's almost tropical as well, the riverscape. Um, yeah. But we know from the previous location at the Smirsky Hotel, which is kind of north of Russia, which mm. is pretty much Arctic. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure, if I'm honest. This could be Iceland, Greenland type. But he says swamp, and yeah. I can't really imagine a swamp in Scandinavia. I reckon Scandinavia has swamps. Maybe someone can let us know. Yeah. Um, and he says that he's been through snow and sand, hasn't seen the sky in so long, and he's been on this big journey to find Grumman. Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that. It feels like Lee is telling us how much of a journey he's been on, and I don't know if I really feel that he's been on that journey. I would much rather... I think it would be much more effective. We don't need, we don't need direct exposition of... I've been on a really long journey and I've seen all this different weather. Just make him look a bit dishevelled. Yeah, or we like just a montage that could have gone like sand, snow. Even swamp. that would have been too much. Yeah. I just they just make it look like Yeah, been we don't need it. the details of his journey unless yeah. we're gonna see parts of the journey. Yeah. For a reason. But he is rewarded by encountering the voice of someone very cool and famous. It took me a while to figure it out. I was like, whoa. You probably could pretty much see the cogs in my brain working. <laughs> I was like, oh, who's... Vo-? I recognise, oh, it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge's voice. An extremely distinct voice. Yeah. Um, she is some sort of small bird of prey. It's an osprey. Oh, nice. Yeah, very nice. Very nice bird. And um, eventually leads Lee to 
Stanislas Grumman, uh, Lee says that he wants a bacon sandwich, and Grumman, who is this shaman-type magical figure who has called Lee to him through the wind, um, on his arrival offers him a bacon sandwich. And was it soup as well? Yeah, weird combo. I would have gone, if you got soup, grilled cheese. You wouldn't go bacon sandwich, would you? Depends what the soup is. I would never dip a bacon sandwich in soup. I think that's... Is there a soup that would work with a bacon sandwich? Yeah, I call it brown sauce. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what's the flavours that would go with a bacon sandwich? Or is there sauce in the bacon sandwich first? Or is there a plain bacon sandwich? Well, soup isn't a sauce. No, but is is there sauce in the bacon sandwich? No. Okay, so it's you've pretty much you got like salty porky. Maybe a minestrone. Yeah, well, there would be bacon already in the minestrone. But maybe if you left the bacon out of the minestrone. Yeah, and then I mean you would naturally bring bread to the minestrone, so it's the same ingredients just in different form. Yeah, um, and that was an extract from the conversation <laughs> that Lee and <laughs> Jack Barry have. Really weird diversion that they went down. Um, but yeah, I respect Jack Thorne for bringing that in. No, of course that doesn't happen. Um, they in fact have a conversation about Joe Parry. So Joe Parry is kind of, is a mistranslation of John Parry because John Parry got into Lyra's world, and Stanislas Grumman is another name that he took on. It's very funny to me that they someone would have heard John Parry and a more logical name for them would be oh that person is called Japari yeah but if, if it's like a non-English speaking country I guess we haven't really come across any characters that don't speak English yeah so they get into a debate about Lord Asriel because Japari is on the side of Asriel in this great incoming war between the Magisterium and the the zealot Asriel and his regime of not abiding by religion um, and Lee says that he couldn't stand by Asriel because Asriel abandoned his child, which, as we know, is something that Joe Perry also did because we know all about Will and the fact that he was left as well. How do you feel about Lee's relationship to Lyra compared to Joe Perry's relationship to Will? I think Lee is almost trying to force himself into the a father fatherly figure mm. because maybe he has daddy issues himself. Well, we learned in the interrogation yeah. last week how the abuse that he, he suffered as a child. Yeah, uh, a slight issue with Lee and Lyra's relationship, as it's shown on the show, is that Lee, the way he speaks about her, is very often in hyperbole. Mm. And we've not actually seen them together and had the screen time to put some weight behind that. So whenever he's talking about how much he loves her and how he'd die for her, it all just feels a bit intense. Yeah, I, I think it's also because Lee is someone who has bounced around a lot. He's always been on to the next next job, the next quest. Living for himself only. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's been given something to live for which is maybe something that he has not encountered much in his life. And so he's really thrown himself into the protection of Lyra. It's very admirable, but I think even if back in season one we had one or two more scenes of them together, that might have stuck that dynamic um, a bit better. And then on the the other end of things, we've got um, Joe Perry, 
who can who recognizes that like abandoning his child to go through a, a, a hole into another world was maybe not the best thing to do um but his stern belief in wanting to maintain basically freedom across the entire universe between all these worlds is is key and he would be willing to trust Asriel and put and also it he believes that what he's doing will be for the overall good and good of his child yeah yeah um like he's not aware of will or will situation or anything like that which is quite funny because he's giving us all this exposition about the knife mm-hmm. uh, unaware of and the, the bearer, bearer of the knife and as we'll come to find out yeah, yeah. in this episode um I, I find the Asriel stuff really interesting um because it's an element of this side of the war that we haven't really got into is a sense of fundamentalism on the uh, secular side which is we've we've very much seen that on the magisterium side we've got this Nazi imagery we've got like very very basic views on religion and science and Asriel is being framed as this this heretic and to some people almost viewed as a terrorist that we still are in a better position to align with despite how extreme his views might be and it's it's all very thorny it it never gives you like the easy answer as to who to put your faith in but more importantly than that more importantly than the bearer of the subtle knife than lyra and lee he's got a man bun (laughs) this just completely took me out of it (laughs) yeah because you know that andrew scott doesn't have the hair for a man bun so straight away I just had this image of him coming to work every morning and going into his trailer and then having someone have to come and clip this fake man bun on. Yeah. He's and got, all these fake tattoos. He's got the tattoos. He's got this slight, almost like Navajo print Levi's yeah. and the man bun. And he's come out of this little shack and it's all very healing fields at Glastonbury type look. Yeah. Because he, he's quite, um, he's very eloquent and quite directs in his opinion and, and the delivery of the lies that he's given it feels like it's uh, kind of slightly at odds with a this hippie aesthetic i don't know if it's a hippie aesthetic it's more of a at one with nature i suppose you could say that's hippie but an outside of, you know regular society well they do decide to work together and they get into lee's balloon it's not going anywhere and... yeah the weather's not really playing ball yeah, and I said at the end of last week's episode, there was a, a, a line of dialogue that was like framed as this great hero moment. And I thought there could have been a better way of doing that. And we had, had another one of those here where they really need to get the balloon going. And you show Andrew Scott and he says, leave the wind to me. <laughs> and I, I, I know that that is not funny in like a toilet humour sense. But it, it is. It is. Because... You could just you could just say, you know, Lee says, oh, but there's not the right weather conditions. Leave that to me. Leave that to me. Yeah. Um, Leave the wind to me. And then his performance in this, when he's sort of like, he's got his hood back up and he's sort of shaking and having some sort of otherworldly wind experience. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you drink too much ayahuasca, which I think he's done. <laughs> Okay, but Lee and Stanislas Grumman, Joe Parry, Joe Parry, John, John Parry, they're, they're together, they're off on their adventure. We'll jump to the witches. Not much witch action, but very good witch action in this one. 
um, felt like the witches that we had in season one where you felt like excited when they're on screen because they've done a lot of talking I wonder whether they're allowed to talk to each other if it's not in a misty forest mm. because it seems that they can only converse maybe they've got like a really niche phone contract type situation <laughs> it only what they yeah they can only communicate in one particular clearing yeah uh, misty forest it's got to be between uh, 8 and 12 in the morning yeah and uh, no international numbers yeah. yeah um and so you may remember that their habitat was destroyed in the cleansing from the magisterium so they have decided to go against the magisterium they will uh, go through Azriel's bridge in the sky and they uh I mean perhaps echoing your thoughts earlier in this series though they say the magisterium is pathetic <laughs> I agree it's just a lot of men it really is and here we get this great moment where Serafina Pakala boards one of the magisterium airships that's guarding the bridge in the sky and it's another one of these very cool smoky quick slow-mo fight scenes and she just absolutely tears through all of these pathetic blokes and she's immune to bullets which Mm. is very cool yeah and you think we just get this one this one fight scene where she pretty much wipes out the entire airship solo and then flies outside of it and you see all the other airships where other witches have done the exact same thing and all of the airships blow up at once and then the witches fly through the bridge I'd be quite into a um, spin-off series of just the witches. Well, there is a um, there is a book called Lyra's Oxford, which is just a novella that Pullman wrote that helps kind of expand this world, uh, and that's a witch-based short story mm. involving Lyra and Pan. Maybe you should get that for me for Christmas, uh, Louis. If you look to the bookshelf on your right, you'll in fact find it's already there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, as is Once Upon a Time in the North, which is a Lee-based short story. So you might like that one to expand. I'm trying to spot it now on the bookshelf. Oh, it's very small and okay. red, so uh, it, it's a hard one to find. Could it be a nice festive read? Absolutely. Uh, it's very short and it contains a small map of Oxford. Ooh. Yeah, I know. As we can't travel at the moment. I know. Very right. nice. Should we, should we holiday in Lyra's Oxford? <laughs> so the witches are going through the portal. Everyone's going through the portal in this one let's jump to Will and Lyra so Will and Lyra they're the focus really of this episode and we get some opening narration which starts the whole thing off about telling us about the knife and it's very very Kate Blanchett Lord of the Rings very there's one knife to rule them all <laughs> <laughs> but it's very subtle now this I, th- I think this looks good and I'm, I found it exciting to yeah. watch. And we we both enjoyed it and we both thought but well, this would be better if this had been the opening of this series. Uh, it doesn't need to connect to whatever would have come next in the first episode. You could just set this up. And I think that really kind of smartly separates the books as well. You think, oh, season two of the series is The Subtle Knife. It starts with this Subtle Knife intro. Um, I think it would have worked. And it's because it's done in this very grand way it doesn't with all these visuals yeah it doesn't feel like because it's non-narrative it's not part of the world as it's happening it doesn't feel as exposition-y as other moments did because it's stylized Mm. very highly stylized yeah and so we get all the background of the guild who were a group of philosophers who were in the tower at Chittagatse 
the Torah degli Angeli, and they crafted this knife that was on one side could cut through anything, and on the other side was subtler still, and it could cut through the very fabric of reality. Okay, so you know when you have to do um, English A levels or mm. English GCSEs. Um, with literature you'd be writing you'd be um analyzing a poem or something and a key tip was to pick out words and mm. really dig in and unpack the the use of the that certain word can we please talk about why uh, the meaning behind this subtle why yes, this knife is subtle it's, it's extremely sharp okay so they're like using... subtle as in it is like Okay. really really fine because, because you almost can't see it because it is that subtle because if you said subtle as a knife you wouldn't think oh a knife is subtle because it causes it cuts yeah i think well it's, it's the use of the word subtle in a way that we don't yeah. often hear it mm-hmm. um and it's it was certainly jarring when i was reading the book and i don't yeah. think anyone would naturally get it yeah but there we are I'm all for taking words and using them in new ways absolutely going back to these philosophers they made this knife and they started cutting through all of the worlds but each time they did that they released a spectre not good what are you going to do exactly sometimes it be like that it really does so they create these spectres when they open up these doorways to all these worlds Uh, but then when Asriel made the bridge into the sky that's what led all the spectres into Chittagatse and that's what made like all of that kind of killing and soul sucking happen so that's all exposition in this episode that's a mixture of what happens in this opening narration and also what we get later on as well um because there's a lot to fill in uh, more importantly though a great outfit from Lyra that I would probably wear mm-hmm. kind of nice blue work jacket shirt blue trousers that's kind desert of desert boots perhaps I think um, she wears desert boots maybe what I wear most days of the week yeah now they've got a figure out how to get into the tower because they want to get this knife so they can trade it for the alethiometer. Now this was a a weird bit for me uh, because we've had for a few episodes now like how do you get into the tower there's a person up there but there are no ways in or no ways out. What a challenge it'll be to get into the tower and get the knife or just happen upon a door (laughs) and the door is to the tower the door isn't guarded by anything it's not locked just give it give it a punch and you'll get in um yeah strange um i'm not sure why that was written convenient though love that for them yeah and i suppose it helped make more drama in the preceding episodes um so they they get in there um they meet giacomo paradisi he's played by terence stamp one episode in one episode out he's done great job um he's the guardian of the knife and there's also another lad up there as well. I don't know why he was there. Was he just like a pickpocket or trying to... So this needed uh, a bit of explanation, I feel. Um, I think maybe the end of the episode tries to wrap it up, but it's not very clean. Uh, this is Tullio, who is a teenager who's seeking refuge in the tower. Because what happens as a teenager in this city? The spectre gets you. Exactly. And... Um, the knife repels the spectres. Like uh, they're scared yes. of it. Yeah. Uh, and so Tullio is up there thinking, if I have the knife, the spectres won't get me because I am coming of age. Um, so that's why there is this 
fight for the knife because he's trying to save his own life. The fight itself, good. Yeah. Pretty solid fight. Yeah, good fight. Um, quite weighty. I don't feel like you get like real oomph in a lot of kids fighting. It's a bit playful, slappy. Um, you don't really feel the punches. But What you really want is you want to see some intense kids fighting. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I really want some programming that gets into some heavy kids fighting. <laughs> and um, in this, we see how sharp the knife is because Will loses his finger and it's a... Ooh, you wince. I'd love that knife. Think, oh, just Your parents dreamy. need that knife. They do need that knife. All their knives are very, very, very blunt. Yeah. Just like, imagine it would cut an onion, just... Mm, no tears. No tears. Whoa. Um, would help with that minestrone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so Will loses his finger. Bandage appears out of nowhere. Yeah, magic bandage. Yeah. Um, but then... And also, Will seems to be sort of fine. Like... Well, no, it's the adrenaline straight okay, away. Okay. And so he goes into, as we know from series one, he's a boxer, uh, which was a new addition. And it really pays off here because he flips into boxing mode. and just The old guy's like, kid, kid, fight. Yeah. And Will's like, activated. <laughs> Bonk. Imagine punching someone in the face when you've just lost two fingers. That's got to hurt. Yeah. Um, but that's why we respect Will. And then he collapses wakes up to lovely red panda pan have we spoken about red panda pan we so haven't far? we haven't had the opportunity i think it's my favorite pan it's lovely isn't yeah. it yeah very very nice big fan of red panda pan um and it's a big close-up as if it's trying to wake him up like his little baby <laughs> uh, and there's this big red panda pan and although that is a nice moment it's not the best pan moment of the episode because there's something that happens that is huge and it's it's nicely small at the same time yeah because it's a big shock. And I think it's a shock to Lyra. Which is? Pan reaches out to touch Will. Yeah. And just like, as a, in support of him. Yeah. What he's just gone through. And Lyra is sh- shook. Shook. Shooketh. Yeah. Because yeah. this is a totally intimate act. We, we're told uh, that demons and other humans don't touch. And like that's how, like when we've seen them fight in the past, it's always felt so intense. And it's nice to have that intensity come from a place of affection rather than a place of And Pan just says, oh no, I just wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, really, really sweet. Um, So Giacomo explains more about the background of the knife that we've gone through. And it's a funny one here because when we had that non-narrative Lord of the Rings style exposition, it was working. And when it's done in the real world real world Uh, it doesn't quite work and it feels like when you're having to talk about the history of these worlds when you're really reaching far back into the past the story can struggle and this is true I feel in the book as well when it's having to give you centuries worth of history it's a lot to take in and that feels like it is here compared to extremely elegant context cues and Kind of drip feeding of story that you get in Northern Lights where you're not even really told that you're being told anything it's just a change of the use of words or how things might appear differently and here we suddenly get the guild and the philosophers and the construction of this and centuries ago and then the spectres into this and you it's it's a lot to take in um, but when they're doing recent history 
it's a lot more fun mm. and easy to deal with. So Giacomo is, he has been the guardian of this knife and he has lost two fingers. And we see a statue earlier of a hand that has just two fingers. And then in this fight, we just saw Will lose two fingers. So he has got the sign that shows that he is to become the guardian of the knife, which is something that we just heard Jop Harry talking about, how the importance of the guardian of the knife. Like he needs be. to find the the new guardian of the knife. Yeah. But you, Louis, you actually encountered a guardian earlier in your life as well. Well, it just made me remember that when I was a kid, I had a, I had a French teacher who was mysteriously missing exactly the same fingers on one mm-hmm. of his hands. So he always told us that he lost it in a woodwork injury, but... Who knows? See what you would say yes, if you were it's a very in fact. convenient cover-up. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, you must treasure that now, now yeah. that you know the real history yeah. of your French teacher. So Will has to learn how to use this knife. He gets told to put his mind at the tip of the knife. And this is a, very similar to what we know about Lyra going into alethiometer mode, Mary going into cave mode. Everyone's downloading their mindfulness apps so they can really get into the zone of kind of connecting with their respective spiritual devices. And Giacomo explains that there are these strings of the worlds that the knife can cut through. And like how we had uh, the cave being a nice reflection of Plato's cave, I feel like this is no coincidence using string here and string theory being a term in physics that can relate to multiverses and multidimensions. And that we are seeing these strings which have the same visual as the lines on the cave, Mary's computer, and the same lines that get used in the opening credits are all connected in this same type of string. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) That was like science brain. What's that meme? Galaxy brain. Galaxy brain, yeah. Um, I will... um... He's lost it. I know. (laughs) But that, that, those linking images are not the only things that we're thinking of here because a knife in a, any story can be interpreted a certain way when especially it's handled in, by a man. Especially in when you think back to Shakespeare, if you think about how Juliet meets her, utter, her ultimate demise with um, the unsheathed weapon. Yeah. yeah um, There's a lot of phallic imageries going on there certainly is i mean it it, it's a kid's show folks um but there's there's phallic imagery everywhere through this uh being told to keep it sheathed etc um and there's there's yonic imagery too in the undoing of the worlds and cutting a some might say slit Mm, absolutely um the the shape of it I mean, uh, it reminded me of uh, Gustave Courbet's painting Origin of the World, in the, and in this case we have the Origin of the Worlds, and that Will, with his blade, will be able to cut through into them. And there's a lot of very loaded dialogue happening between Giacomo and Will. Yes, yes. Absolutely. Gotta hold it tightly, use the tip. Does he say that? <laughs> I don't think he does. What does he say? Put, put yourself on the tip. <laughs> Um, no, you don't listen. Close your ears. Well, we also, I think this, the imagery that it's using is not coincidental because yeah. we have a scene that follows where Will's having a bath and recuperating, reflecting a, another cultural touchstone that's been big for you this year. Louis. It's very reminiscent of 
Geralt relaxing in the bath after he has a big old fight. Will and Lyra have a, have a great interaction here. Will's in the bath. Lyra says that she's coming up with towels, but she comes up the stairs backwards, promises she's not looking. And the camera rests on her. Um, and you can feel her getting to the point that Pan was earlier in the episode as well. That that affection for Will is really there. That that's blossoming. And she's got a really nice look on her face as she kind of thinks about him, what he's just done. That's not the only thing that happens in this world. Of course, Giacomo, now that he's no longer the bearer of the knife, he decides to poison himself. He says that I'd like to meet my destiny in private. And he does so before the spectres can get him. But unfortunately, Tullio, the kid who was trying to use the knife to protect himself, does get got by the spectres. R.I.P. our favourite character. <laughs> uh, he'll meet Roger somewhere, <laughs> maybe for a drink. Now there's one more place that we need to visit, and uh, that's our own world. Hmm? Time for a little introspection. Let's talk about Mary Malone and a little bit of Mrs. Coulter as well. Uh, so... Lord Boreal visits Mary in the lab, says that he's got some funding to offer her, says that it's for defence. Um, Mary won't take it, despite the fact that it will close down the whole They need the funding. Because um, she will not do it, because that's who the money... Like, and she's thinking Ministry of Defence type. This would be MI5 war stuff, when really from Boreal, this is, this is more than that. This is defence against entire universes at war with each other this is a fun scene uh lots of good blazers oh yeah they're all wearing blazers aren't they good blazer episodes yeah um because boreal then joins up with mrs coulter who's in a blue suit as Mm -hmm. well another great blazer to add to another good hat yeah it's like that she got a new costume designer for this series maybe is she's looking brilliant boreal gets together with mrs coulter in or he wishes I mean, these scenes are quite... They uh, meet in a beast, some sort of nice bistro for an evening meal. Mm, There is an an undercurrent under every Boreal and Coulter scene. Um, Especially as Boreal's demon is a snake. Yes. More symbolism. mm, It it really is. Just you wait until Amber Spyglass, Louis. Some of of that stuff's going to live above the subtext. And in this scene, this is one of the few moments where Mrs. Coulter is not in control. She doesn't know what he wants. And he reveals to her all of the stuff about the knife and the alethiometer and all of this, and that he's saying that he's got Lyra trapped and that they will then go through the window from Lyra's world through Chitagatse into our world, which for me is a very exciting prospect. I can't wait to see Mrs. Coulter in our world. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. And then the last thing that we wanted to get into is Mary. She's putting her little connectors on. She's going on to join her computer cave and now she has managed to she's put herself at the tip of the knife she has totally got herself into the zone she's connected with the universe as the I Ching book says she's got into a lithiometer mode and she talks to the shadows oh the shadows talk to her yeah and not just on screen it talks and this is thrilling I, I love this because it feels like we are getting questions answered but then we just get so much more and it's just so so exciting and it it really felt like the excitement I had when I was reading the book so to recap this she talks to the shadow particles she says are you shadows are you dust are you dark matter are you all the same yes 
These are these conscious particles that exist between everything. And it's all the same thing. Mm. And we feel that as viewers, that's our big answer like as to what they actually are. But no, that's not actually what they are. So she says, what are you? And the answer is angels. Oh, yeah. What? That dust is angels? Mad. Utterly mad. Amazing. And you think, wow, what a thing to end on. Dust is angels. And then one more thing. What do they want? What do you want? Angels. Angel dust. That's a drug, isn't it? Is it? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) What do the angels want? Vengeance. What? So exciting. And just, I talk about this whenever I try and sell people on this series. That you start Northern Lights and Northern Lights feels like this brand new world it's so big it's so exciting it's so different and then by the time you get to spyglass like northern lights is like feels like must be so tiny yeah it feels like like five percent of the hobbit compared to where's amber spyglass goes and this is like for me the first moment where the scale and the ambition of amber spyglass is coming into it because i don't think anyone would be watching thinking oh yeah of course yeah the angels the angels want vengeance yes just, yeah and the, the dust the thing that we've been talking about yeah. is angels <laughs> amazing yeah um louis thinking now on this episode comparing it to what we've watched before everything that's happened what, what do you make of it oh my favorite so far i'd say yes i would absolutely agree for season two this is this was the first episode that we've watched so far in the season where i was like oh I would happily go into watching the next episode straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, felt like the action was really coalescing with the plot and like they both were benefiting each other. This one had such momentum. I spoke about how The Subtle Knife is, is a shorter book. It's quite episodic. And what that means is it's really compulsive because as one thing, as one chapter ends with a, its resolve, it kicks off something else. And you feel like, as you say, you want to jump into the next episode. You want to binge it. Yeah, and we're into that same feeling that the book has at those moments. Um, and I am I'm really excited now that we've got people going through the window. We've got the knife in Will's hand. We've got so much at play now that the thought of the next three episodes is so exciting. All we na- need now is Azriel. Well, it's funny you mention that um, because you we've noticed that you might notice that this episode, this series is only seven episodes long and that is because there was a standalone Asriel episode that was uh, almost finished but then lockdown happened and they couldn't get James McAvoy to finish it. So we've got this great like total Asriel focus thing that's just sitting on a hard drive somewhere. Will it come out eventually? Well, I gather... Before the next season? Yeah, it'll either be part of the next one or I don't know you could do it as a Christmas special next year or something That'd be great. Um, but I'm very excited about that we mentioned a couple of episodes ago that Louis you think I'm a bit of a sociopath for running places when I could just walk um, unfortunately I watched the social network recently and discovered that Mark Zuckerberg does the same thing did you just say unfortunately I watched it 
No, well, no. Fortunately, I love oh. that film. <laughs> I, I, but I unfortunately realised that okay. Mark Zuckerberg does the same thing, um, and I may dial back my uh, running between locations. The thing is, you don't. There's no need for you to run anywhere at the moment. Well, I run between here and the kitchen every day. <laughs> Peggy does. Yeah, well, I think that's just me chasing Peggy. But something else that we have to talk about, which was last week when we were talking about Lord Boreal's apartment in Oxford. What did you say, Louis? So um, I just in passing mentioned that maybe the, the wall colour was Hague Blue by Farrow and Ball, a very popular colour over the past few years. Lo and behold, Jake gets a, a DM on Twitter from the prop designer Michael and bang on it was in fact Hague Blue so everyone I'm open to your interior design queries yeah um his dark materials team if you need a new addition to the to the design team for Amber Spyglass Louis right here she's on the end of a microphone she's I need I, yep I can look at all the Farron Ball colours I can pick out the right ones <laughs> just give me a text <laughs> now before we end we must do one more thing which is of course figuring out What demon is Peggy? At the start of this record, I wasn't joking. I said there was a tower of angels in front of me, and that was a sleeping Peggy and a not-so-sleepy Louis. Mm, Quite sleepy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we, of course, trying to figure out, as our puppy gets bigger, what demon is she transforming into every week? What is she this time? I had some troubles this week thinking about because she's still very bitey, like the the shark, baby shark from a couple of weeks back. And she still is obsessed with apples. So she's still got the fruit bat tendencies. But this week, I'm maybe thinking she's a chicken. A chicken? Yeah. Why is that? Well, she had some roast chicken the other, other day and she absolutely loved it. And so you think she would want to eat herself? No, I know, I realise <laughs> I mean, she now... Does, she does lick herself a lot. So oh, Jake, don't sense. say that. I now realise that that sounds quite macabre. But um, she's also... Sometimes the way she sits is quite chicken-like. And she's got very chickeny legs. Yeah. Mm. Like a, a chicken supreme, that cut that's both leg and thigh. But also she's um, having standoffs with um, one of the neighbourhood cats at the moment. So maybe she'd be a cat, yeah, so she she's... could have the fight with the cat. Yeah, that's true. Um, lots of things this week. Peggy, you're changing. She's also been quite unsettled during this episode. Mm. Um, she's just... I don't know. I don't know whether she's turning into a teenager and realising that she doesn't actually want to sleep on her mum's lap anymore, but she keeps getting up, moving to the other side of the sofa, and then realising, in fact, she does want to be on lap. So she's now returned. Well, if people want to keep up with Peggy, they now can do that. She, yeah, I we've had, gave we've, in. We've had people wondering what Peggy actually looks like, and so she has got her, her own, own Instagram. Instagram. And you can find her at Peggy underscore the Jack on Instagram. And you can find you on there as well. Yes, I'm Louisa Florence. And I'm over on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham if you want to keep up with me as well. Now, that is it for this week's episode, but you can join us next time on Dustbusters for season two episode five the scholar dustbusters is produced by jake cunningham our music is by dan yakano and our artwork is by sam mason